Welcome to another message in God's wonderful Word. Here at the Hillsdale Bible Church, we aim to learn God's way, that we might live God's way. May the words you hear today draw you closer to Him. Open your Bibles and your heart as we learn together in this message. young when uh, I'd receive gifts or such that my mom would say, you've got to write them a thank you card. And uh, that was uh, an experience, learning to write thank you cards. Uh, A good one, but uh, I recall how very early it was hard for me to to think, how do you express thanks? Uh, Somebody gives you a gift and and, uh, for years you just received the gift, right? And now you've Write a card and say thanks. I do want to express my thanks to you, for you folks who prayed for me over this last week. Uh, Florida's a long ways to drive. And uh, then you've got to come back. And that's a long drive, too. But uh, I missed being here last Sunday. I really missed that. And uh, um, So I'm very thankful the Lord took care of us and gave us a safe trip and brought me back here. And, and there you are. And, and that... Uh, just uh, is something I'm so thankful for today as well. We have been spending time in Ephesians chapter 1, and one of the uh, results of studying this chapter, I hope, is that it has made us more thankful for what he has done for us. It, it's an incredible chapter. Ephesians chapter 1, it's an incredible chapter to learn of uh, God's investment in me and in you. Uh, an amazing thing He has done, and I'm so glad that the Lord uh, put this in His Word for us to see it, that we might know it, that we might be thankful people. Today we're going into verse number 10 and verse number 11. We're, we're spending a lot more time, I think, in verse number 11 today. But 10 is part of the quotation I'd like us to notice as well. God's investment in you. We sang songs this morning about heaven, and that was by uh, design that we should do that. Wanted us to think beyond this world a little bit. And here we're going to especially do that as we see these words. So let's just start here in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 10 and 11. I know it's right in the middle of a phrase. It says, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. 
Oh, it's a beautiful place to study. Let's ask the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, your word is before us and it's beyond us in many regards. As we view this passage here today, help us to comprehend once again the measure of your love and grace, that which you have bestowed upon us, that which has changed our lives and set our eyes on things above. Let us indeed be more thankful for having spent this time learning of you and what you have done for us. And we need your help as we study it because these words are not just meant to inform our heads, but they're here to warm our hearts and to to cause our wills to respond. And what response do you want of us today, Lord? We're, we want to be open to that. We want our hearts to be ready to serve and do what you call us to do. So help us Help us learn today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you look at verse number 11, a couple of things are, are very significant in this passage. We can go through each part of this, and it would be a whole sermon each part. I've already dealt with some of these as we've gone along, so I'll just highlight what kind of revolves around the whole point of the fact that we have obtained an inheritance. All right? Back up into verse number 10, the last couple of words were, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We want to make that point clear, don't we? All the way through in Ephesians 1, he kept saying, it's in him, it's in him, it's in him, it's in him. Who is him? It's our Lord Jesus Christ, right? It's because of him that we have all of this. So we mark that definitely as is key to the understanding. We also know in the middle of verse number 11, it says we this having been predestined. So this is not an afterthought in God's plan that we have obtained an inheritance. It's not something he just thought of later after you someone had impressed him with who you were and said, hey, I should leave something for them. <laughs> that This is a, a concept that goes all the way back to what we saw in verse number four and five with his choosing us and adopting us into the family that also God had planned, right? Pre-planned on our behalf. And so uh, we could say simply that the very start of our relationship with God was planned by him before we had any input. And the very end thoughts that come to our minds, the inheritance and, and all that we're going to talk about here today, that also was included then. That's pretty big thinking, that he's covered all this in, in what we see. But predestined is, is the word in our text here. And it says we've been predestined according to his purpose. That's important in our, our understanding too. It's his purpose that we're learning here, and it's, it's a much greater, better purpose than ours ever would be. And it speaks of his purpose, who, God, who works all things after the counsel of his will. As you can see, every one of those points are big points. But they all revolve around this fact that we have obtained an inheritance. Okay? Now, what inheritance? This is a question that some people would raise very quickly. A typical question, I would say, if you should get a letter, if you should get a call on the phone from somebody in a legal department somewhere, and they said, we've got news for you, so-and-so died, and you may not even know who that so-and-so was. Some people are really surprised in this department. But uh, 
so-and-so has passed away, and in their will, they left you an inheritance. What's your first thought? What is it? Right? What is it? Our, our, our primary thought is, I hope it's like six or seven digits long. And we hope it's not a herd of donkeys. Right? When, when we're thinking through, what is this inheritance? Uh, what, we want to know, what is it? That, that's a human response. We want to know what is that. And so there are some times after somebody passes away, family members come and they all gather around and then they, they wait for that moment when the lawyer is going to read the will so they could find out what they have. It, it's kind of an interesting ordeal and I'm sure you've been there once or twice in your life. You do believe that there is something beyond this life, right? You do believe that the Lord has done something for us much beyond the things of this, uh, of this earth. I would guess that uh, most believers, I don't know if most is the best, but most I will use anyway. Most believers think the inheritance is heaven. Or something related, very much to heaven itself. As if uh, that's our future mansion, right? Uh, we sing the songs, and we sang them here a little bit this morning too. One of my favorites as a teen was, uh, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Uh, it was easy to play on an organ. That was why I liked it, I think, first. Because there wasn't a lot of accidentals or sharps or flats. And I learned to play it. Very, very quickly. I, I, that was my whole goal, was to be able to play it uh, at a super rate speed. And my goal also was to challenge the church pianist and see who could play it faster. Uh, but uh, I never got that chance to do that. But that was just a, a song that, you know, you, you, you do very quickly with your fingers. Uh, but in that... We think of mansions, we think of heaven, we think, what is ours going to be like? And thoughts like that come to the mind. We grew up thinking that way, I know. What's the, what kind of tapestry, what kind of uh, carpets would it be? What kind of furniture? Is it going to be a big place? Is it going to be a little place? Uh, some people even get real excited about the idea. They, they want their, their mansion to be on a street closer to the center of heaven than some of the outskirts of heaven. They don't want in the suburbs, right? They, they, they want somewhere downtown heaven. Uh, this, these kind of concepts, uh, uh, I tend to think are fun, and some people get quite extreme with it. On the other hand, have you ever met somebody who, who just doesn't want attention, or at least they put it that way, uh, they will uh, not want to talk about things they're going to receive. They, they, they feel very uh, conscious of that, and so they avoid topics where they're benefiting. Almost like they, they want everyone to think that they're, you know, they're worthless or nothing or something. They, they depreciate themselves over and over, and almost to the point that if God gave them even a cardboard box to live in in heaven, they'd be unhappy just because it was too much. You ever meet somebody like that? Once in a while I do. Oh, it's just too much. It's just too much. But I want to warn you, as I'm beginning this uh, verse, our study here today, if you're holding out for a mansion, you're soon to find out you're thinking too small. 
Alright? If you're thinking a cardboard box would be a little too much, you're going to be overwhelmed with this verse. This topic is just glorious. And, and I want to start with this. In the manner in which God has done everything for us, and that we have received everything from Him, He has done it in the same manner. The whole passage that we have been studying here in the activity and the extent of God's investment in us, we have seen that it's come to us by His grace. Haven't we seen that? It's by His grace. He has done this for us by His grace. Uh, it's not by our works. It's not by any merit that we have that we have brought this about. It's not by instigation. It's not by manipulation. We did not... Uh, convince him to respond this way. It's the good pleasure of God's heart toward us that he has done all of this. And I, I like to stop and rest in that. It's a beautiful thing to remember. But I'm particularly fascinated by one word that has been in the middle of this paragraph. And I brought it up almost every week, I think. But this is one sentence from verse 3 through verse 14 in the Greek language. And in the middle of it, in verse number 8, is the word lavish. It speaks of the fact that his grace, in verse number 7, the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. <laughs> that word just keeps getting my attention every time I go through this passage. Uh, it speaks of an action that's not merely done to meet the need, but to overwhelm the need. When he has, has done what he's done for us, it's overflown uh, with his provisions. The simple picture I think of, and this is a terrible time to bring up food, because I know we still got a ways to lunch, but uh, if you're hungry and somebody says, well, how about if I give you uh, some mashed potatoes, uh, they just put a scoop on your plate, that might meet the need, right? Now, when they take and heap the mashed potatoes on your plate, and then they pour, shower, and smother them with gravy... You say, now that is that meets the need, right? Oh, that goes a little beyond that. Because it does more than satisfy the hunger. It satisfies a lot of things when you see the plate just heaped up with that. That's the idea of lavished. I don't know why food comes to my mind when I think that. But I saw the definition of lavished in the dictionary. The synonyms were heaped, poured, showered, smothered. We have been smothered by grace, heaped up with it, showered by it, poured upon us. I love the, the imagery in those pictures. It's trying to say it's an abundant thing. And that's why we have uh, sometimes a, a little uh, glitch that keeps us from understanding grace and how it has been lavished on us. But that's what our study has been, is that is the manner in which God has done everything for you. Everything has been in the same manner. His grace has always been lavished upon us. When he's blessed us, we saw in verse number 3, he didn't just merely bless you to get you by, he blessed you with everything, right? Everything, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies we have been lavished with. And I, I underscore this as we begin here because we, we, attribute, we, we attribute God's 
abundant grace in choosing us as something He's lavished upon us. When we speak of His generosity in adopting us as children in verse number 5, that's so generous. The words are, are weak to try to express it. When we speak of redemption, do, do, we, do we relish the redemption we have in Him? When we speak of the abundance of His forgiveness, do we shout for joy? We've been forgiven? When we speak of, of His wisdom, are we overwhelmed with it? Because it's so great. When we speak of His sovereignty, every moment of our life, all the time we exist, all the meticulous care He has put in every single detail, that's overwhelming to me. And it's not just in this life here alone, but it's for all of our life and all of our existence to follow outside of this world. And it's in every life and every person. All things, he said in verse 10. All things, things in heaven and things on the earth. That's incredible knowledge and wisdom. See, God doesn't just merely get by with, with just showing a plan, but he's, he's involved in all of it. That, that too speaks of a lavish manner in which he provides in this too. And I've been so impressed with it. And I feel so, so handicapped in finding the right words at times to say what I see as I read through this passage. Uh, it's a degree of what God has done for us. Now, if you believe all that, if you've seen that and you say, okay, yeah, I, I see that, Pastor, and boy, am I glad that's true. Let me ask you a simple question. Do you think he's less concerned about your future? <laughs> You're going to have to apply the word lavish to this inheritance. All right? You're going to have to do that to understand that that's the, the manner in which God does everything, including that. And uh, everything we've ever tried to do to explain what's going to happen falls short in comparison to what God has already done. And that's the point of what we see here today. Um, I just want to firmly implant that in your thinking. And in your thinking, I also want to firmly implant that God's, God has intense attention towards you. Intense in attention toward you. Uh, this is not a passage of what God has done for the Apostle Paul. Alright? Yes, it is. But this isn't, well, you have to somehow qualify to be a, a, a spiritual dignitary in the first century. You, you have to apply and be granted status in the Hall of Faith or something like that in order to qualify for this kind of attention. Sometimes we, we immortalize people that way and say, well, they were different. They were Bible people. <laughs> Bible people get treated this way, but wouldn't that, Hillsdale people? Are we a different kind of person? That, that God thinks of us differently? This passage shows God's dealing with all believers in Christ Jesus. Alright? You're a believer in Christ Jesus. He's talking about you. What he has done for you. We have all received God's attention in the same manner. In the same manner. 
That means what we're going to read here today, and this inheritance that we're going to read about, is for you. It's what he's done for you. So we have to appreciate that as we walk through this. In Romans chapter 8, let's go over there for a minute. We're going to be right back here in a second. But in Romans chapter 8, there's a passage here I've gone to several times, and you have to. Toward the end of it, chapter 30, or verse 31 through the end, verse number 38, or 39, it speaks of, what God has done for you. It's God's perspective on you and God's protection of you. And in that, there are seven questions raised here. Paul asks these seven questions. All of them have very obvious answers. But these seven questions shows you God's uh, attention on you. And verse, well, I'll go through them right here. Verse number 31, for example. He says, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? That's question number one. He's just walked through all of theology practically. In verse number 29, he says he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he would be firstborn among many brethren. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. You just had theology 101 when you go through those verses. All that God has done for you. What shall we say to these things? Question number one. Are you impressed (laughs) that he gave all those things for you? He's done all that for you? That's God's work in each of us. Second question is, also in the same verse, if God is for us, who is against us? If God is for us, who is against us? Actually, the word word if is is kind of uh, weak. The Greek word is since. Now, stop and think that one through. Since God is for us. Now, wouldn't that make sense that he is, in light of all that he's already done? Since God is for us. Now, this doesn't mean he's, he's for you like you're for OU or OSU or somebody like that. You root for him, you know, and hope they win. Uh, God's not on the sideline saying, hey, I'm for you. This means he's benefiting you. That's the word for here. This is what God has done. It, since God is for us, for our benefit, in that there's a sense of protection and, and defense, but who can be against you? Who can be against you? If God is for you, if he's benefiting you, that's a good question. Number three that comes in verse number 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, There's that for us again, phrase in there, same idea, how he benefits us. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's question number three. How will he not with him also freely give us all things? Does that sound like he's quite involved in, in everything that you receive? Now we're coming back to that in a minute. Just circle that one in your mind. We're coming back to that. But also for... Uh, the next three or four questions, number four would be in verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. That's great, because there are people who like to bring charges to God's elect all the time. God is the one who justifies. But the next question in verse 34, who is the one who condemns? You ever been condemned by somebody? 
I lived in a little town in Indiana that uh, they desperately wanted some federal funds to fix it up. So they, they blighted the whole town. And that was kind of embarrassing, I thought. We found out one day that the whole town's been blighted. I mean, that doesn't feel very good. But you look out and you say, you mean it's all like that? Well, they thought that we'd get some money. We got some money and we put us on street lights on the main street. That fixed it, right? But, you know, but who, who condemns? We get condemned in a lot of different ways. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who's going to stand before God and condemn you when your advocate is standing right there? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Beautiful thing. And he died to take care of those issues anyway. Question 6 in verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? This is where it really starts to get beautiful. But let me start with that word. Who? Who? You know, for the longest time I thought I could. I could separate myself from the love of Christ. And then I found out later when he says, in verse number 39, the things that could separate us, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing. And that stopped me in my tracks, because I'm a created thing. And I couldn't do a thing to separate myself from the love of Christ. That's a, a very comforting thought for somebody who thought they could. But this is, this is a question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then this question number seven is also in that same phrase. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? These questions are good questions to ask. Especially when you're reeling a little bit. You're, you're wondering, does God even care about me? Go back and ask the same questions again. It shows you clearly he does. But go back to question number three. It's in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? All right. Grammatically, there's something very significant right here. There are two thoughts bundled together. Two thoughts bundled together. The first one is obvious. In the first phrase, it's speaking of the crucifixion, the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Right? It says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. Is that important to you? Christ died for you. Is that, that's what it says. Is that important to you? Would you say of the top ten things that are important to you, it sits right up there at the top? Christ died for me? He died for me? I, I could be forgiven of my... He, he was delivered over for me? That's important. Oh, yes it is. Theology, that's pretty much what we want to, to emphasize when it comes to the work of Christ on our behalf. Important stuff. But notice what's bundled with it. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? God's free gift of everything to us, everything to us, is bundled with the most significant act of God on our behalf. <laughs> you see the importance? Working them together. In other words, you cannot divide these two things. God doesn't save you and then let you uh, uh, go out your existence with a nothingness about you. Uh, 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 you know, he doesn't care. He's not paying attention to you. He's just glad you're saved. You know, and he'll let you be. That's not what it says. 
He not only has given his son for you, but he's given everything to you. You cannot divide those because they're eternally linked in the will of God. He will not divide them. They are stuck together. And the fact of our inheritance that we are studying here is tied to the fact of our salvation. God's attention toward you is so detailed that he has provided your salvation and everything for all of eternity. Isn't that impressive? Would you say, hey, we got a pretty good deal. It's impressive. I was thinking of that uh, earlier. I was reading a book, took along with me while I traveled. I don't read while I drive. I play audio books and I can listen, but there was one that uh, I did take along to read. And there was a comment from, you've heard 2 Corinthians 5.21, the verse, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You've heard that verse before. Uh, Martin Luther had a comment on that, and this is, it kind of stopped me in my, my tracks when I heard it. This is what he said. Learn to know Christ in him crucified. Learn to sing unto him and say, Lord Jesus, thou art my righteousness, I am thy sin. Thou hast taken upon thee what was mine, and thou hast set upon me what was thine. Thou hast become what thou was not, that I might become what I was not. It almost is a tongue twister. But that last phrase, Thou hast become what thou wast not, that I might become what I was not. He's done that for us. And when I read of these things that he's done, it's easy to say, wow, we did get a pretty good deal out of all this. But at the same time, it's God's grace that is lavished on us. It's not that we've manipulated this to our our, uh, good. But even if we did, we would have manipulated far short of what he has designed. We would have settled for for a basket of apples when he had the whole orchard ready for us. That's the way we are. We're satisfied with just getting by. And he's got so much more. Now, I I wish I could spend the whole morning with you just justifying in your mind that God has an inheritance for you. I don't have to really justify it so much or, or convince you because we read it in Ephesians 1 verse 11 and it's, it's a, something already completed in the will of God. It says, we have obtained an inheritance, right? We have obtained an inheritance. Now that's one of the six verbs that we're studying in this passage. The fact that he chose us in verse number four, sorry, election. He predestined us in verse number five. That's our adoption. He has redeemed us in verse seven. We have redemption. He has revealed to us, he had made known to us the mystery of his will, verse number 9. Verse number 11 is the very next one. He has, we have obtained an inheritance. This inheritance is the next main verb we study. And then we eventually get to verse 13 where we were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, just the fact that we have obtained an inheritance, this is going to be fun, all right? I'm, I'm going to play a, a Greek professor with you for a few minutes, all right? It's painless, okay? Um, 
we look at this verb and we construct it and we parse it. We call it parse. We tear it all apart in its little pieces. Uh, and so I would ask my students, okay, what kind of verb is that? And they would say, it's a first person plural, aorist, passive, indicative. And i say, okay, that's good. Then I would say, what does that mean? All right, we could say the words because they have to do that for a quiz. But uh, what does it mean? First person plural means we. All right, you got the we in there. We. That means all of us together. It also means no believer omitted. When you've got a we of this nature, we're talking about everyone and all of us equally participating. All right? When it says we, we're doing this together. And so that's very important for us to see because when we talk about an inheritance, we're not talking about one person or a few people, select people, important people maybe, but it's everybody. You believe in Jesus Christ? You have obtained an inheritance. We have. Right? Dr. Perline and Steve and, and Hallie up there. Me. You. Isn't that great? We have obtained an inheritance. That's an important little word. Don't let it slip by. It also says uh, that it is, I said it was a aorist verb, and that means it's already done. We say it like past tense. Obtained. E-D. See that little E-D at the end? It's done. It's done. I like that. It's done. We're not trying to figure out how we're going to get it. It's already done. And it also says, uh, in the definition of the word, it's a passive type of verb, which means we are just the recipients of the action. It was done for us. It was done to us. It was not done by us. Right? That's pretty important in understanding this. I think it's very important. It, it takes out every bit of effort on our part. It's the fact that God has done this already. It's already been done on our part. We have received it. Years ago, I, I received a little bitty uh, inheritance from a relative. And with it uh, was, was this nice setup where every year I'm to receive this little portion that comes from the whole. And I thought, well, the investment plan is pretty neat. So I, I called the investors and I said, how about if I put more into that so I could keep receiving more back here? It's a pretty nice interest rate. And they said, nope, you can only receive. You can't add. You can only receive. So every year, a little bit comes out of that. I can't add to it. I can only receive. I think that's a pretty good description of this kind of a word here. We can only receive. We can only receive. We, we aren't uh, bringing this about on our own. And it's an indicative mood. We would say, this is reality, folks. This is not a potential, a maybe, I'm going to hold my breath, see if it happens. It, it's not a possibility. It is a reality. We have received. There's no question mark in that phrase. All right? When I speak of this, this little phrase that we're looking at here, we put it together this way. We, all of us together, have already obtained, that's our past tense concept, already obtained from God's effort, that's our passive side, not on our part, an inheritance, and that's a fact. All right? That's how it all works out together. That's pretty powerful for a simple little phrase like this. But it gets even more so as you start to put other verses with it. You ready for this? 
I'll just start reading them off. You could look them up as well as we go. First Peter 1, 3 through 5. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Does that say it's already there? Yeah. It's reserved in heaven for you. And then he adds, who are protected, that's you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So not only is the inheritance guaranteed and there, but you're guaranteed to be there and enjoy it. Isn't that great? I love those words. All right. Galatians. Galatians has a couple of great verses. 26 of chapter 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 29 to follow. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. God's promise. You're a child of God. You have faith in Jesus Christ. You're an heir according to promise. And then another one, Romans 8, 16 and 17, probably the most well-known passage when we talk this way. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, and that word if is a powerful word, it's as, as strong as you can say the word since. I don't know if you have to say that in capital letters, or if you've got to raise your voice to say it, or as they would sometimes say, since indeed, is their way of trying to express it on the, on the page. Since indeed you are children, then heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. Part of that is fellow heirs with Christ. What does that mean? That means we share all things in common. Okay, now... Put on your seatbelts. You ready for this? This is, this is some of the most powerful stuff I've seen. We're not talking about a mere mansion here. We're not going to settle for a cardboard box here. What does it mean that we stand to inherit what Jesus Christ stands to inherit from his Father? I'll give you a clue. Back in Ephesians... Verse number 10 of chapter 1. With a view to administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and things on the earth. What was that? Does that not remind us that God has worked all his purpose together, that in Christ it be summed up? Everything that happens in heaven, everything on earth, everything is summed up in Him. And we say, wow, that's big. And then we just read, we're joint heirs with Christ. He say, okay, but where, where do we go with this? Let me show you another one. 1 Corinthians 15. This one's kind of hidden in the middle of a, a beautiful passage. In 1 Corinthians, we talk about the resurrection all the way through this. And, and yet, right in the middle of it, verse 24... This is, this is powerful. Picture this 
you could you could picture it in your mind as we go. In verse twenty four, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty four. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. And he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it's evident that he is accepted who has put all things in subjection to him. That means everything but God the Father is under the authority of Christ here. But when he all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who has subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Say, okay, what's that? All these things that God is summing up in Christ is going to be fulfilled. True? Absolutely. And he's going to be sovereign, right? Absolutely. And then he's going to take all that the Father has given to him out of the Father's love for the Son, and he's going to turn around and hand it all back to the Father. Wow! I can't wait to see it. How exciting that's going to be to see it. It, It's an expression of the Son's love for his Father and the Father's love for the Son. And where are you going to be? Where are you going to be at that moment? Part of it. Ooh. Ooh. Let me show you again. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You see it? Freely give us all things. Now, how, how can we grasp this? Let me make it simpler. The church is called the bride of Christ. True? Now, picture that in your mind, because we could understand that relationship. The bride will live with her husband and share all things with him forever. The church will be with Christ and share all things with him forever. It's added to in so many passages. But I want to read to you, and I want you to see it. John 17, this is Jesus' prayer. This is his prayer to the Father just before he goes to the cross. Just before he dies for us, what is on his heart, if you will? What is is he thinking? Is is he kind of, you know, bracing himself for the pain, uh, the the moments of uh, torture? Is he, you know, sometimes we do that before an athletic game, we've got to put on our game face. What, What is he thinking? This is the most significant act in all of history, that he should die on our behalf. And what's on his heart? John 17, he's praying, verse 20. We're going to only come into half of it here. But I do not ask on behalf of those alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given What's the next two words? To them? Wow! That they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Do you realize God loves you as much as he loves his own son? Isn't that overwhelming to think? Father, he says, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, 
I like this. Be with me where I am. That's his request. That they be with me where I am. So that they may see my glory which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. Do you think the Father will honor this request? Yes. Yes. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. That's what it says. The inheritance is in Him, in Christ. It's, it's with Christ forever. It's sharing everything with Him forever. Isn't that a little bit bigger than a cardboard box? That's awesome to me. That's awesome to me. This is God's will. It involves us. It involves Christ. And it merges the two together. That's what we're learning here in Ephesians. It's been predestined. It's got a purpose. God is at work in all things. Counseling. His counsel is bringing this about according to His will. Why does He tell us this? Why? Why not just surprise us? Surprise! <laughs> Wouldn't that be... We'd probably drop over and faint, you know, just with the idea of that. But why doesn't he just surprise us? Well, our, our, our puny little viewpoint, and maybe it's not you, maybe it's just me. Our puny little viewpoint, I said R again. My puny little viewpoint. I hope I have enough today to make it through. You ever think that way? I hope I can, I can get by. 900 miles that way, 900 miles back. It was like, I hope I make it. You know, we, we sometimes live that way, don't we? I hope, I hope, I hope, I, I just need enough, I just need enough. And what did we just learn about God's investment in you? Concerning everything, He has given to you everything that you might serve Him. Do you know what that means to me? <laughs> it's real simple. The reason for our inheritance is it's told to us in this way, so we don't need to worry about our future. You don't need to worry about your future. You don't need to figure out some sort of budget plan to make it come out. You don't have to be investing in it and trying to figure out which way is going to work best for you and watching the market to see if it's going to succeed or not. You don't have to spend your whole life trying to gain what is already given. Right? How often do we spend our whole life thinking we're going to gain merit with God's bonus points and all the rest so we get a mansion a little further down the road? He's already given it. So stop trying to work up some sort of inheritance that he's already provided. That's the reason. So we don't need to worry about that. And if that's already granted, and it's already concreted in the will of God, what's left for you to do? Go forth and serve him. You see? He is relieving us of all the concerns that we normally would have. We don't have to wait to be blessed. We are blessed. Right? We don't need to wait to have grace. We have grace. We don't have to wait for strength. We have strength. Go and serve. It comes to that conclusion so many different times in Scripture. Even Corinthians ends that way in chapter 15. 
he talks about the resurrection and all that's involved. He says, so, now go out there and toil. <laughs> go out there and serve. Why? Because he took care of everything. Isn't that great to know? We've got a God like this. I'm going to take you before his throne in prayer right now. Join me when we talk to him. Heavenly Father, you are incredible in your love to us, your grace to us, the mercy that you have shown to us, the work that you've done in our lives to bring us from those who were dead in trespasses and sins and counted as your very enemies. You have made us your friends. You have made us your children. You have made us heirs of yours. You have granted to us everything and blessed us and blessed us and blessed us and blessed us. Oh, Lord, how wonderful you are. How can we say thanks? Our our words are are so, so tiny in comparison to your greatness. But, Lord, I'm so glad that we have all eternity to practice that. We've got a lot to say. A lot to, to show by way of gratitude. And maybe that will spill out today in the way we serve you. In the things that we're called to do, Lord. Maybe not look at them as a burden. Maybe not look at them as some sort of a chore. But maybe see them as a benefit and a blessing and an opportunity that we might show our gratitude to our God. For you have done everything for us, Lord. May it be our hearts we give to you in full measure our strength in full measure, that we may love the Lord our God with all our heart and strength and soul and might and be thankful people. Work in our hearts today, we pray, and bring us to where we need to understand you more. In Jesus' name, amen.